Today's scripture comes from Luke 2, 8 to 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it has been told them. Oh, Heavenly Father, would you speak to us by your word? Would the seed of your word go deep into our hearts this morning, that it would bear fruit in our lives? God, we pray a protection over anything that would stop that seed making its way into our hearts and bearing fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is John, and I'm on staff here. And believe it or not, we're in our second week of Advent. Second week of Advent. I don't know about you, but it feels like it's sprung up on us this year. It's come a little too soon. I'm not sure that I'm ready for it. But don't get me wrong, I love Christmas. I don't know about you. I love Christmas. But as I've got older... I'm looking out at some faces that have seen more Christmases than I have seen. Uh, Our feelings towards Christmas change, don't they? They change over the years. My my response has changed since I was a child. When I was a child, Christmas was fantastic. It was gifts. It was toys. It was food. It was family combined with a complete ignorance of any stress, any work, any family dynamics. It was great. We know that, don't we? That beautiful time when we're children. And then there's that moment when it occurs, the moment when you realize that you have received less and less gifts and you have to buy more and more gifts. <laughs> and Christmas gets objectively worse, doesn't it? It, just, it gets worse. I have two brothers and they just kept having children. So I had to buy them gifts, apparently, and it's, it's a struggle because, you know, you, f- you forget what they like, you forget how old they are, you forget their names, you forget, <laughs> you forget everything about them. And so I did what every good uncle does, is I just started cutting checks, <laughs> just family-wide checks, like burden back on the parents. You buy them something, <laughs> say it's from me. And then I started having kids, and uh, Christmas changed again. I started feeling the burden of wanting to share all that I had as a child. I want 
my children to have all of the positive associations with Christmas. And so I get all the lights and I get my tree up early and I buy all the gifts and I, you know, all the smells and the bells and everything, all in the hope that they all coalesce together to give my children the sort of feelings of warmth and home and joy and wonder that I had growing up. My response to Christmas has changed over the years. And this is the question that I want to ask us this morning. How do you respond to Christmas? When we, when we first hear the carols playing in the store, how do you respond to Christmas? Maybe for you, you're like me, you love Christmas. You're the sort of person who has had Michael Bublé playing for a month now. As an aside, Michael Bublé is a December artist, right? And then, no, just an aside. Or maybe in all seriousness, when you hear the first sounds and smell the first smells of Christmas, it's not a good thing for you. Maybe when you grew up, Christmas wasn't a good time for you. For a lot of people, Christmas serves, I think, as, a, as an emphasis of the gap between our reality and our expectations. There's this promise of warmth and joy and, and family and home, and it's met with loneliness and isolation and cold. Maybe it's not a season of joy for you, but of unrealized joy. Not a season of hope, but of hopelessness for you. And now we've got a new vocabulary for Christmas, don't we? COVID, variants, boosters, PHOs. And we've got a whole new set of emotions that go with this new vocabulary. So Christ City, how have you responded to this Advent season? How have you responded to Christmas? What I want to do this morning is simple. I want to look at our text and identify six responses to Christmas. Six responses to Christmas. And I think what they show us is six appropriate responses for us as we consider the Christmas story. Now what I've done is I've, I've coupled them so that I can get a three-point sermon. This is a smart move. <laughs> so six points, uh, so six, six responses, but only three points. Clever. So here are my points this morning. Number one, fear and joy. Number two, to proclaim and wonder. And number three, to ponder and to praise. Fear and joy, to proclaim and wonder, to ponder and to praise. Okay, our first response to Christmas, fear and joy. Fear. Now, I'm going to suggest that of all the holidays that we celebrate in Canada, Christmas is not the one that you associate with fear. I'm right. Just a month ago, or just over a month ago, houses in our neighbourhoods were decorated with Halloween decorations, ranging from innocuous, cute little pumpkin lanterns all the way to disturbing effigies of people hanging from nooses. Now, I'm not saying this is true of everything in Halloween, but if you were to suggest a holiday that is celebrated in Canada that 
is supposed to invoke in us fear, I'd say Halloween is up there. Or maybe Valentine's Day, but Halloween, <laughs> Halloween is up there, isn't it? But I want to argue this morning that fear is an appropriate response to Christmas. It's an appropriate response to Christmas. In fact, I'm going to argue that Christmas is more fearful than Halloween. Look at the text with me. From verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. They were filled with with great fear. Our story this morning begins with an encounter, a meeting, a coming together of shepherds and angels, of the ordinary with the extraordinary. Normal people, these shepherds, they're just laborers, normal people working a night shift in the darkness. And they're interrupted unexpectedly by angels surrounded by the glory of God. And their response is exactly how you and me would respond if you were on a night shift and angels appeared to us. They were terrified, filled with great fear. The first Christmas starts for the shepherds, not with a cutesy nativity scene, not with all the warm and fuzzies, but it starts with an encounter with the holy God of the universe, the glory of of God. It starts with a moment when their ordinary lives come face to face with something extraordinary. But the only right response, the only possible response is fear. Fall on your face, fear. Now we, we, we've seen this type of fear before. If you've read your Old Testament, in fact, if you've read your Bible, you've seen this fear before. It's the sort of fear that Isaiah felt when he, he has a vision of the throne room of God and the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah's response is to say, woe is me for I am lost. He's terrified. Surrounded by the glory of God. It's the sort of fear that Jacob, who has a dream of angels going up and down from heaven to earth, and he wakes and he realises that God had been there and what? He's terrified. In fact, this is the sort of fear that everyone experiences when they come face to face with the glory of the living God. You see, before we get to the warm and fuzzies of Christmas, and we get there, don't worry, there is an encounter between a dark world and the glory of God. There is a coming together of this sinful world with a holy God. And the response appropriately is fear, it's terror. Christ City, when we read this story, I think we're supposed to see a chasm. We're supposed to see a difference, a distance between shepherds and angels. We say them in the same sentence often, but we're supposed to see a difference between shepherds and angels. 
between shepherds who dwell in fields at night and angels who dwell in the presence of God. And we're supposed to see this difference, I think, because it illustrates for us something that is in the Christmas story, and it's a chasm that is there between sinful humanity and a holy God. And the result is fear. And let me just say this. This fear is different from the sort of fear that we're supposed to or told that we're supposed to feel at Halloween. It's different. You see, at Halloween, the world tells us that we're supposed to fear the dark. But Christ City, at Christmas, we're reminded that it's the darkness that should fear the light. It's the darkness that should fear the light. In John's gospel, when he talks about Jesus coming, he says, a light has come into the world and what darkness has not overcome it. The light has overcome the darkness. I think it's a sobering reminder for us as we go into this Advent season, not just of the darkness in the world, but also of the darkness in us. That a light has come. And light overcomes the darkness. As we consider the truth of who we are and all that we've done, and the truth of a holy God, Maybe an appropriate response to Christmas this year would be terror. Controversial. Now let me say, if, if that is what you feel this morning, I've got some good news for you. So the first response we see in the Christmas story is fear. But look what happens in verse 10. And the angels said to them, fear not. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. What we have here in the space of a verse, very, very gratefully, is fear met with fear not. Is great fear that turns very quickly at the news of the angels to great joy. If you wanted a uh, tweet to summarize the Christmas message, if anyone's on Twitter anymore, great fear has been replaced with great joy. Great fear has been replaced with great joy. Great joy. Joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with the word joy. Joy for me is such... Such a small word, but such a big word, you know? Like if someone asks you, have you experienced joy lately? I'd be intimidated to say yes. Joy is a big word. It's, it's, it's almost simultaneously hard to define and hard to find. Hard to define and hard to find. Like, like we know, don't we, that, that joy is, is supposed to be something like happiness, but it's, it's more than happiness, isn't it? It's, it's deeper than happiness. It's, it's richer than happiness. It's more substantial than happiness, isn't it? Joy. 
We know that joy is is a feeling that is produced in us, a feeling of delight and of pleasure. But as C.S. Lewis once said, all pleasures seem to be just substitutes for joy. All pleasures seem to be pointing to something more elusive, this joy. Now, I've done some research, and by that I mean I've Googled. I'm a scholar. And I'm going to just try and define joy as as I've seen it talked about. Define joy as I've seen it talked about. Because I think even in the the world, joy is a big word. It it holds a lot of weight. So this this is my best try at defining joy. Joy is a deep and sustaining happiness. An overwhelming feeling of inner delight and satisfaction. Let me say that again. Joy is a deep and sustaining happiness, an overwhelming feeling of inner delight and satisfaction. And and, and we know we want it, don't we? We long for it. We long for this elusive joy. It's a big word. But what's interesting about the Christmas story is that it promises joy. In fact, it promises joy. Great joy. Great joy. Look at verse 10 again. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. A Saviour who is Christ the Lord. What's, what's happening here? What are the angels saying? Well, I think the angels are suggesting, seems to me, that this great joy for all people has been brought about by the birth of a baby. Now we know birth of baby, great joy. We know that. But there's something different here, isn't there? This is great joy for all people. This is a big claim. And the right question, I think, for us to ask is how? How can it be great joy for all people that a baby is born? I think the answer is given to us in the titles that are attributed to this child. There's two titles. The angel says that the child will be both Saviour and Christ the Lord. Saviour and Lord. Now, if you were here last week, Brett preached about Jesus as Lord. And he reminded us that this child is the same Lord who has orchestrated history to bring about his birth, who has fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, who has moved the hands of the rulers of the nations in order to bring about his birth. That even in a world that seems broken and messy and disjointed, God is in control of it all. I think it was a a timely reminder for us as a community, actually. A timely reminder for us that with all the mess, God is still sovereign. Jesus is Lord. But what does our text give us today in addition to that? Our text tells us that this Lord, this Lord of all lords, sovereign over all, God of the universe has come to us as a child with a purpose. 
with a purpose, with a plan, for a reason. And this purpose is given to us in the second title, which is Saviour. Saviour. Now, hopefully we talk about this enough here so that you know where I'm going with this. Because we know, don't we, that the story that begins with a baby in a manger leads towards the man on the cross, right? We know that Christmas always foreshadows, looks to Easter. And so when it speaks of Jesus as Saviour, it's preempting the cross in which Christ the Lord will be, bear the sin of the world upon his shoulders on the cross. He will save sinners from their sin by taking sin upon himself. Hopefully we know that. And I know what you're all thinking. You're all thinking, what's this got to do with joy? What's this got to do with joy? What's this got to do with this deep and sustaining happiness? What's this got to do with an overwhelming feeling of delight and satisfaction? I know this, John, but what about the joy that you promised us? What about the joy that Christmas, the great joy that Christmas promised us? What's this got to do with joy? Well, I think sometimes when we think about Jesus as Saviour, we often frame it as what we have been saved from rather than who we have been saved for. What we have been saved from, not what we have been saved to. You see, Jesus comes to us to save us from our sins. It's true, from our sins. In order that we don't have to fear, right? But put another way, Jesus came to save us for himself. You see, biblical joy, Christ City, is an overflow from knowing Christ. This deep and sustained happiness, this overwhelming feeling of satisfaction comes from knowing Christ. Look at how Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes joy. It's beautiful. There is only one thing that can give true joy, and that is contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He satisfies my mind. He satisfies my emotions. He satisfies my every desire. He and his great salvation include the whole personality and nothing less. And in him I am complete. Joy, in other words, is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's a reason why we find Joy, hard to define and hard to find. There's a reason why joy is so elusive to the world. It's because when we try and define it or we try and find it without any reference to the person in whom it's found, it's fruitless. It's fruitless. There's a, there's a reason why joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Because it is produced in us as our soul responds to our knowledge of Jesus, to the indwelling work of his spirit in us. 
Christ City, we will be tempted this Christmas. Trust me, we will be tempted to try and find joy or try and have it defined for us by people trying to sell us things. But as Lewis says, they will be selling us substitutes for the real thing. Substitutes for the real thing. Christ City Christmas is the annual reminder for us of where we can find joy. It's in Christ Jesus. If you're looking for joy this morning, if you find it elusive, go back to Jesus. Pray that the Spirit of God would produce in you the fruit of the Spirit and that you would experience joy this Christmas. Great fear has been replaced with great joy. Number one, fear and joy. Number two, proclaim and wonder. Proclaim and wonder. From verse 15, it says this. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, there's an interesting shift, I think, that happens at this point in our text. It's a shift that happens where the shepherds move from being recipients of the good news to being participants in the good news. From being recipients of the good news to being participants in the good news. They had received this message from the angels, from these messengers from heaven, and now they themselves become the messengers of this good news. Verse 15, what was made known to them. Verse 17, they made known to others. Do you see that shift? And it says that all who heard it, all who heard it, wondered. They wondered. Now, when I think of the word wonder, again, another big word. But I think of a, a story of my nephew, Eli. My nephew, Eli. When we first moved to Canada, I would FaceTime. I mean, I still FaceTime my family, but we would do it more often when we first moved. And we would FaceTime my family, and I would FaceTime my brother, David, and um, often his kids would be on as well. And uh, his, his son is called Eli. And one day when I was talking uh, with David, I saw that Eli had noticed something and his whole demeanour changed. He noticed that where he was in London, it was daytime. But where I was in Vancouver, it was nighttime. Now, Eli is young, so he doesn't quite get the way the world works yet but I could see his face almost expand, his eyes widen, his mind explode. He said to me, Uncle John, how is it nighttime where you are and daytime where I am? Now, I'm a good uncle, so I told him we don't have a son in Canada. I left it to my brother to tidy up, you know. 
that is wonder. That is that moment of wonder. Wonder is that feeling of having your small world expanded. When you realize that your small story is actually located in a bigger story. It's the reason why children experience it. And then when we experience it, we feel like children. Wonder. And when the people heard what the shepherds said, you can imagine their faces expanded. Their eyes widened, their minds exploded. Their small worlds just got bigger because they realized that they were located in a much bigger story. They wondered. Christ City, this is the power of the Christmas message. Again, you're going to be told time and time again from adverts that we're to wonder at Christmas, but not really wonder at what. The Christmas story, the story of God becoming man in order to save sinners like you and me, is full of wonder. It's full of wonder. If you're like me and you've been around church for a little while now, Christmas comes around and wonder is not what you feel. Even as I've prepared for this sermon, I thought to myself, man, I've heard this a lot. I've heard this story so many times. We've been around here so many times. Is it really that wonderful to me? It's hard when you've got to preach on wonder. And I'm asking myself the question, is this wonderful to me? Do you know when it was wonderful to me? When I first heard it. When I first knew the joy of forgiveness first knew the joy of salvation. We've just finished up our Alpha course. If you don't know, Alpha is is something that we run here, which is uh, for people who don't yet know Jesus, so that we can introduce Jesus to them. And we just finished up our course. And and here's two things you realize when you help on Alpha, two things. The first is that the gospel is not only good news, it's often new news. It's not only good news, it's often new news. You know, it's not like everyone in our city has heard the good news of the gospel and have gone, no, I'm not interested in that. There's so many people that have never heard the good news of the gospel. You know, our our city, our world is desperate for some good news, isn't it? The second thing that you realize is that you're reminded again, it's not just good news for them. It's good news for you. It's good news for you. It feels like often at Alpha, like you're hearing the gospel again for the first time and you're reminded again of the joy of salvation, the joy of forgiveness, the joy of being known by the God of the universe. And it reignites in you wonder. I think it's because... It's only when we truly understand that we are recipients of the good news that we want to become participants in sharing the good news. You know that? It's only when we understand that we are wretched sinners that should fear a holy God, but a holy God has come to us in Christ 
and has died on the cross for our sins, has reconciled us to God. And what a privilege that is, that we want to become participants in sharing that good news. When you realise that you are a wretched sinner saved by grace, you want to share the message that other wretched sinners can be saved by grace. That's why I put proclaim and wonder together. See that? It wasn't arbitrary. It's because they go together. As we wonder at the good news at Christmas, we proclaim. And when we proclaim the good news at Christmas, guess what? The people will wonder. Proclaiming and wondering. Christ City, I want to I challenge us this morning not, not to tell you that you are doing a terrible job of evangelizing your colleagues and you need to do a better job and make you feel guilty for all of the times that you wish you'd have said something but you didn't say something. I want to challenge you to receive the good news of the gospel again afresh. To be reminded that Christ the Lord has come to us to save us. That's the message of Christmas. And as you do, as you receive the gospel, watch how there's a natural overflow in wanting to participate in the gospel. Number one, fear and joy. Number two, proclaim and wonder. Lastly, to ponder and to praise. To ponder and to praise. It says in verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen, heard and seen as it had been told them. As we close today, we see two similar but slightly different responses to Christmas. Two similar but slightly different responses to Christmas. One is an internal response. The other is an external response. One is one that happens internally, privately in our hearts. The other happens publicly, through our mouths, through our bodies. The first internal response is to ponder, to ponder. I like that word. Mary's response to Christmas, Mary's response to the message of the angels was to think about, to spend time, to treasure all that she had seen and heard. And in fact, it seems to be a bit of a practice for Mary. She has a bit of a practice of this. Later in Luke, when Mary finds Jesus in the temple and Jesus says to her, did you not know that I, would, I must be in my father's house? You know the story when he's a teenager, the only one we've got, that one. Mary's response was, says she treasured these things in her heart. She treasured them. She thought about them. Mary had a practice, it seemed, of reflecting upon all that God was doing, actually in her and through her. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I find difficult at Christmas is to slow down, is to take a second. You know, there seems to be so much that we have to do on top of what we want to do at Christmas, doesn't it? Shopping and decorating, family gatherings, Christmas parties, Christmas Eve candlelight services, plug. Before we know it, it's 2022 and you guys are breaking your New Year's resolutions and it just happens so fast, doesn't it? We get through Advent so quickly. We're taking down the tree and we're thinking, 
done for another year, pack it up. I think Mary's response is a good challenge, a good encouragement for us this morning to take some time to treasure and to ponder. While all of these things were going on around Mary, and think about it, Mary's just there. She can't leave the situation. She's there. And all this stuff is going on around her, and yet she still finds the time to treasure and to ponder, to think upon, to reflect. And I think that is an encouragement for us. Christ said, take some time. Carve out some time. This is, this is the application for me right now. Carve out some time. Think about Christmas. Think about all that Christ did and is doing. Now, if Mary's response encourages in us and challenges us to have an inward response to the Christmas story, the shepherds are going to encourage an outward response. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned. Glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, bear with me being a geek for just a second, but I love the symmetry of the verses that I've been given. The symmetry on the verses go like this. Our text begins with the angels arriving and glorifying and praising God. The shepherds are transformed by this news. Fear turns to joy. They become recipients of the message and then they become messengers, participants in the message. And look how it ends for the shepherds. They end singing, glorifying, praising God. They join the angels in their song. Not only had the shepherds become evangelists, they'd also joined the choir. Christ City Christmas is a time of song, of celebration, of praise, of rejoicing, of lifting our voices to the King of kings and Lord of lords who came to us humbly to save us. Let me encourage you, sing your heart out this Christmas. Sing your heart out to Jesus. Spend some time in quiet reflection, yes. But also turn off Michael Buble and put on some Christian music and sing your hearts to Jesus. Six responses. Fear turned to joy. Proclamation and wonder. Pondering and praise of all of the options that you have in how you are to respond to this season, consider those six. Consider those six. 